Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. In the beginning of the service, we're starting our Advent season today, and Advent simply means an arrival. Advent means the arrival of Jesus Christ, and Jesus comes not once but twice. He comes once when we celebrate his first Advent at Christmas, but then we look forward in expectation to his second Advent when he comes again. The first Advent, he comes humbly, lowly, no one really knowing who he is. But the second time, when Christ comes again, he will come visibly in power. Everyone will recognize who he is. That's what the word Advent means. And the Advent that we celebrate at Christmas time is Jesus' first arrival, his incarnation. And incarnation is just a fancy theological word that comes from the Latin phrase incarne, which means in flesh, when God became man. Now, during this Advent season, for about four or five Sundays, we're going to be looking at why Jesus came. Why was he coming in the flesh? Why did Jesus, the eternal Son of God, take on human form and become a man? And as we do this, we're going to be going through your F260 reading. If it's your first Sunday here, we have been doing a reading plan all year through the Bible called the F260. And we are picking different passages that you will be reading over the next week in order to tie the sermon into your daily devotional. And so this week you'll be reading from Philippians 2. And so I'm going to read that now, and then we will hear more from God's Word. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, If any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross." For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of God. Lord, be with us as we hear from your word. If you could gain any superpower, what would it be? If you could gain any superpower, what would it be? I've already seen two people say something and signal something. Would it it be super speed? Or if you could gain any superpower, would it be super strength? Or if you could gain any superpower, would it be super senses? Like your five senses were heightened. 
I love asking that question to kids. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Because it gets them thinking, you know? And then you can kind of tease them a little bit. Like, well, what if, you know, what if you were flying, but I was strong enough to pull you out of the sky? Then you get them kind of thinking through these, these, these superpowers and which one they would want. Now, personally, if I could have any superpower, I think I would go with flying. I think that would just be hard to beat. Be hard to beat flying. Now, I asked my wife, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And as a true introvert, she said, invisibility. <laughs> and I thought about asking uh, how many introverts out there would like the, the power of invisibility, but then I realized they wouldn't raise their hands, right? <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would it be? If you could gain any strength, what would it be? Well, let's flip that just for a second. And instead of thinking about gaining a strength or gaining a skill or gaining a power, what if you had to give up one? that you already have. Instead of gaining a power that you didn't have, what if you had to give up a skill or a strength or a power that you already do possess? Think about the musicians that were here on the stage. That was amazing this morning, wasn't it? Them leading us. But what if for some reason, each of them had to give up their musical skill? What would that feel like to be them, having had that skill, having had that power, and then no longer having it anymore? Or what about you? What if you were really, really good at something and you had to lay that skill aside? Or what if you had worked really hard to get a degree, and once you got that degree, it opened up all sorts of opportunities for you, but then you had to give up that degree and you lost all those opportunities? If you had to give it up, if you had to lay it aside, it would be humbling, wouldn't it? Maybe not just humbling, but maybe humiliating. Maybe humiliating to have to live apart from that gift that you had gotten so used to using. Today, as we look at Philippians 2 and we ask the question, why Jesus came, the answer is really obvious. It's right in the middle of our text in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, he came to die on a cross. You'll see it capitalized there, right there at the end of the, of the sentence. Jesus came to die on the cross. That's why he came. That's the good news for us, is that we were sinners and Jesus was sinless, but he took our spot on the cross. The wrath of God was to be poured out on us for our sin, but it was poured out on Jesus instead. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was rejected by God at the cross so you and I could be eternally accepted as sons and daughters of God. That's the good news. But what today's text focuses on is the method in which Jesus came. In other words, what Jesus had to lay aside, what he had to give up, what he had to humble himself with in order to come to the cross. Jesus's purpose was to come to the cross, but his method in going to the cross for us was one of humility. It was laying aside his position. It was giving up his status. It was laying down his rights as the eternal son of God so that he could die for you and me. Jesus humbled himself to come to us. 
Jesus lowered himself to get to us. In verse six, look what verse six says. Who Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now, when it says that Jesus was in the form of God, it doesn't mean he was kind of like God. It means that he was God. Jesus was the eternal son of God. He always existed. He was at creation with the Father and the Spirit. He always was God and he always will be God. He was equal and is equal with the Father and the Spirit. Our God is a trinity, three in one. And the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all equally God. He was not less than any other member of the Trinity. He had rights as God, but he didn't hold on to those rights as something that he could exploit. Rather, he gave up his privileges. He gave up his rights. He didn't say, why me? Why do I have to be the one that goes to the cross? Rather, Jesus embraced a humble mindset by giving up his privileges, by giving up his rights, so that he, God, could become man and go to the cross for us. Jesus' humility was one of embracing a humble mindset where he didn't mind being lowered to a lower position. Jesus embraced a humble mindset, but he also embraced a humble position of becoming human. God becoming man. Now in verse 9, you'll see it uses this word, or sorry, verse 7, it says that he emptied himself. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, and we'll stop there. Now when it says that he emptied himself, a lot of people misunderstand what Paul is trying to say in this passage. When it says that he emptied himself, it isn't saying that he got rid of all the godness in him. Sometimes in the church, that is taught and that is not right. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago at the Council of Nicaea, 325 after Jesus' death, it was established that what the scriptures taught was that Jesus was always God. And when he became incarnate, he continued to be God. So then what did he empty himself of? Well, the best way to understand what happened to Jesus is that it was subtraction by addition. In other words, he didn't lose being God. Rather, he added humanity so that he was fully God and fully human, perfectly God and perfectly human, the only God-man who has ever existed. And that's what makes Jesus so unique. He didn't lose his godness. He added humanity to who he was by how? Taking the form of a servant. Taking on the likeness of humanity. God became man. And Jesus emptied himself in the sense that he set aside all the rights he had to recognize who he was. I mean, God was walking around as man. The glorious eternal son who had power and privilege was veiled before people's eyes. People didn't know who he was because he had emptied himself and he had taken the form of a human being. Jesus had taken a humble position. He had lowered himself in order to serve 
you and me. Now, I, I actually think this is incredible because so often in our lives, we get asked to do things that we feel are beneath us. You ever had someone ask you to do something and you're like, man, that's just beneath me. Like, I think of Nat. Nat's a, an excellent bass player on the guitar. If I were to walk up to Nat with a, with a bass guitar and say, Nat, I really want to teach you how to play a G chord. That would be humiliating for Nat because Nat can not only play a G chord, he can play it with his eyes closed and he can play every chord. Tristan. Tristan climbs uh, towers and structures for his job. He gets hundreds of feet in the air for his job. And if I were to put a ladder up here in the room and say, Tristan, do you mind climbing this ladder? Unless you're afraid. Unless you're afraid of this 10-foot height. That would be belittling to Tristan because Tristan climbs hundreds of feet in the air. Or Marsha. Marsha, who's not here today, Marsha is a tech genius. She comes in here and does all this stuff with the computers, and I can't even describe it to you, but she's a genius. If I were to call Marsha up and be like, hey, Marsha, I want to show you how to work a DVD player. That would be humiliating for Marsha. Why in the world would I think so lowly of her? You all would feel like that's beneath me, right? What about you? What would it be for you that might feel beneath you? Maybe that you've been offended by someone who has said something to you that's made you feel humbled or like something is beneath you. But here's the wild thing. Nothing is beneath Jesus. Jesus is not upwardly mobile. He's purposefully, intentionally, downwardly mobile. The one who has designed every human being, the one who's the creator, came as a baby, as a human baby. The one who is spotless and sinless came and hung out with sick people and sinners. The one who deserves all glory and had spent eternity in the past being praised by thousands of angels came and washed people's feet. Isn't that amazing? Nothing is below Jesus. Jesus is downwardly mobile, even to the point where he was willing to be humiliated on a cross. Humiliated on a cross. In verse 8, our center verse for this text, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're meant to catch the emphasis on the cross there. Some of us wear crosses around our necklace because it's really the symbol of our faith, but we've, we've lost some of the significance of what the cross means. The cross was a shameful, public, disgraceful way to die. Wearing a cross on our neck is, in a sense, like wearing a, like an electric chair. It, it's almost offensive. If, if you were to die, you certainly wouldn't want to die publicly on a cross where everyone could which, watch you strip naked and suffer for hours in the sun before your lungs collapsed and you die. But Jesus wasn't above that. I mean, he was above that, but he didn't consider himself above that. He was willing to be humbled. He was willing to be humiliated for you and for me. Now, if you have Muslim friends, this is really hard for them. 
God coming as a man is really hard in and of itself for them because they believe that God is so holy and so distant that he would never belittle himself and become human. But this idea that God would come and hang on a cross and die being accused as a criminal publicly? For our Muslim friends, it's almost like circuits are blown. No, no, that's so wrong. That would never happen. God would never belittle himself in that way. But Jesus did. Jesus came as a vulnerable baby. He was tempted like you and I were tempted. He was betrayed by best friends. He was condemned publicly in in a trial that was a sham. And he was forsaken by his father and then crucified publicly on a cross. Jesus humbled himself to come to us. Jesus humbled himself to come to us. And that was both a mindset, a way he thought about himself, but it was also a position he was willing to take. It was not just that he thought about himself a certain way. It led to him taking action. See, Timothy Tennant says, we have a suffering savior, not a superhero. We have a suffering savior, not a superhero. One who gave up position, one who set aside status, one who laid down his rights. Jesus humbled himself to come to us. And Paul says, if Jesus humbled himself to come to us, then our response should be this. We come to Jesus and humble ourselves before each other. If Jesus humbled himself to come to us, then we come to Jesus and humble ourselves before each other. How Jesus came to us as a man who died on the cross reminds us that we are not worthy of what he did for us. We don't deserve it. And when we realize that we don't deserve it, it humbles us. It, it, it makes us low because we realize that he had to die. He had to die so that we might live. No one wants to think about themselves as bad enough that someone had to die in order that you could be set free, right? No one likes to think about themselves that way, but if you begin to understand the good news of the gospel, it produces a humility in you before other people. See, all of us have in our thinking this way we rank each other. Now, we might consciously know it or we might unconsciously know it, but each of us kind of ranks each other in a certain way. We have this this internal point system that we keep where we see people as more than us or less than us, and we can use anything to rank people around us. We might think about who has more money or who has less money. We might rank people based on their skin color. We might rank people based on their past or their present group identity, but we all have this working in our mind as we encounter other people in our home and in our neighborhood, in our church and in our place of work. We all have this mindset of ranking one another. But Paul says in light of what Jesus has done, change your mindset. In verse two and three and five, he says, thinking the same way. In humility, consider, like get in your head something. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. 
And then in verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Notice how each of those has to do with the mindset shift that you have based on what Christ has done for you. In the very way he came to you, in humility, you adopt that same attitude as you treat other people with humility. You change your mindset. But then that, that's not just some way we think about ourselves. It's, it's meant to really have real-world action out of that mindset. In verse 2b through 4, it says, Having the same love, love isn't a feeling, it's an action, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Now, if it says to do nothing out of selfish ambition, what that means is that you should do something out of humility. We're to take action. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should, not, should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Paul is calling us not just to shift the way that we think, but to actually shift our actions towards one another. We're, we're called to be the church together. We're called to be people who represent Jesus, the humble one who came to us, and we represent him by humbling ourselves before each other. We come to Jesus and humble ourselves before each other. Well, Paul tells us how to do that. He says, you consider others. Who are you considering? Who are you thinking about how their life is going and how you can humble yourself to serve them in order to make their life better? Who are you considering? It also says to think about the interests of others. I have no problem thinking about my own interests. I think about myself almost all day. And you do too. But in light of what Jesus has done for us, Paul is calling us to think about not just what's good for me, but what's good for you, what's good for each other, to humble ourselves by actually taking our resources and using it for the good of other people. We tend to think about our time, our energy, and our money as something just for me. But here what we're called to do is see that as a resource to serve other people. And you say, well, that's humbling. And Paul says, that's the point. It is humbling to think about what you have as something that can benefit someone else, whether that be your time, your energy, or your money. And it's hard because you go, well, that stuff's mine. I earned it. I deserve it. And immediately you go back to that point way of thinking, right? The ranking, I deserve. This is the points that I get. But here's how Paul ends the passage. He says, listen, if you want to rank people, there's Jesus, and then there's everybody else. There's Jesus, and then there's everybody else. Because Jesus lowered himself and went on our behalf to the cross, because he died for our sins, God has now raised him from humiliation to the highest position in the universe. Jesus defeated death. He kicked open the tomb. He was resurrected from the dead. And he ascended to the right hand of God in power. And one day he will return and he will not come humbly. He will come in glory and with power. And he will not be a veiled king. He will be visible for all to see.
That's how Paul closes our passage in verse 9. He says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Paul's trying to get us to see is, listen, if you don't look at Christ's humility and then become humble, know that one day you will be humbled. If you're stuck in ranking yourself versus other people, realize that your knee will be bent in front of Jesus just as much as the next person. The words that come out of your mouth will be the exact same as that person who you're ranking yourself against. Both of you will be kneeled before King Jesus and say, he is Lord. So what does it mean to get Christmas in light of this? As we enter into this Advent season, to get Christmas is not just about sentimentality. Of course, Christmas produces sentimental feelings. We all think about our childhood. We think about all the movies and and things and lights and trees and all that. But to really get Christmas, it's not just sentimentality. It's humility. It's both seeing the beauty of Jesus eternal son of God who became man and went to the cross for us. We didn't deserve it. And as we see it, there's such beauty in what he did for us. But then also letting it affect our hearts in a way that we become humble before each other. We look out for the interests of each other. We consider others better than ourselves. We adopt the attitude of Christ Jesus who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless pain. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.